Good morning, church. I'll be reading from Acts 1, 1 through 11. <clears throat> In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come down together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come into the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated. Good morning, church. We will be starting our new series in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, the Alphas can be dismissed to their classroom. If you want to turn, we'll be in Acts chapter 1 for our time this morning. Uh, when I started college, I actually started college uh, as a biochemistry major. Uh, and as a biochemistry major, you can put those two and two together, right? That you have to take biology and chemistry. Good. We're paying attention. Uh, chemistry was fun. You got to make different compounds. We made acetaminophen, which you know commonly as Tylenol. Uh, but mixing elements is not as easy as just kind of two scoops of this and a dash of that, and it just happens, right? Typically, you need a catalyst. Maybe you need some heat, a Bunsen burner to heat things up. Or maybe you need some light to initiate a reaction. You know this, right? Winter is coming, and water on a car doesn't normally do much. But water mixed with salt will turn your car into Swiss cheese. What does this have to do with Axe? Well, today, we'll see what Luke's goal in writing this book of Acts is. Today, we'll set the table with three major themes that'll keep recurring throughout our study. They will be consistently in almost all of the scenes throughout the time that we spend in this book over the next year or two. We'll see. We'll, we'll take some breaks. We won't just keep going through for two years. But we will spend a significant amount of time in this book. Acts follows the story of the early church. 
as they take the message of truth away from Jerusalem. The gospel of salvation to the ends of the earth. The first ingredient is consistently common folks like you and like me seeking to just be faithful to what God has called us to do. The second element will be ordinary means of grace, agents of God's transformative work used by God to give his people spiritual nourishment. We see these as the Bible, as prayer, as ordinances of baptism and communion, the preaching of the word, sharing the gospel. Acts will describe what the early church did. We can make some conclusions of things that we should do, but it is oftentimes not prescribing particular ways in which we have to work, but taking these general principles that this early church does, saying, okay, now go do likewise. We can learn from what these people were devoted to of how what we should be devoted to. Remember, our values, they come from Acts 2.42, what the early church was devoted to. I'll read it for you. The apostles were de dedicated to their teaching, or the early church was dedicated to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Those are our value as a church. As we exist to love God and love others, as you see every Sunday as you come into the building, but we do so through biblical authority, intentional fellowship, gospel centrality, and dependent prayer. And so the laboratory of God's movement in Acts will find folks like you and I devoting themselves to the ordinary means of grace, waiting for God himself to be the catalyst to ignite or illuminate the gospel and do some remarkable things. Acts will remind us that God desires the same thing for us today. He hasn't ran out of good ideas. His perfect idea is to use a common church just like you and I to be faithful with the ordinary means to change the world. So that said, particularly in our passage this morning, we will see that we have three things. We have one, a Trinitarian, two, task based on truth. A Trinitarian task based on truth. Would you pray with me? And we'll look again at Acts chapter one. Father, we thank you that you give us even in this word this morning, as all mornings, truth. Truth to lead us, truth to guide us, truth to encourage us or rebuke us. God, we ask that you would do that this morning. Would you remind us of the truth, remind us of your grace? Would you remind us of who you are and what you've done and now what you call us as a church to do in light of all of that? God, we pray that you'd be glorified in the rest of our time together and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Look with me again at verses one through five. We'll see that the focus of Acts is Trinitarian. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to those to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And so Acts is the second volume of Luke's anthology. If you're familiar with the Bible, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is one of those Gospels. And Luke set out to write a two-volume narrative of the early life of the church in Acts, but he starts with the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. He uses some similar terminology that I just read. Let me read for you. Luke, this man of truth, what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 4. You'll see some of the similarities. As, many, as much as many have undertaken to compile the narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught." So in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, Luke himself will start to interject himself into the story. We see the pronouns used of people from moving from third person, like they and he and them, to first person, we. Luke joins Paul on his missionary journeys, and we'll see that he is not only an eyewitness in his interviewing and uh, finding the eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus, but he becomes an eyewitness himself of what the early church was giving themselves to. Acts starts with the gospel though, right? We see that in Acts verses, or chapter 1, verses 2, where he talks about the things that Jesus did. The things that Jesus taught. We can't have an early account, or we can't have an account of the early church apart from the account of the person and work of Jesus, the account from the gospel, the testimony of what Jesus did and taught. And so in the gospel, we see that Jesus is born. We see that he lived a perfect life. We see that he died a sinner's death, that he rose triumphantly from the grave. And last week, we saw that he ascended to heaven. We see that recapitulated in our text this morning, his ascension to heaven. The account ended last week, right? We saw it with some common guys talking about the ordinary means of grace, the truth in God's word. And a catalyst showed up when? When they were breaking bread with Jesus. Their eyes were opened and they saw that Jesus was before him and that he was the Lord, all by the grace of God. And volume two will now see the birth of the church. It's battle with faithfulness. As the gospel has arrived upon them, or as the gospel has arrived in Jerusalem and they believe it, and now step by step, this early church will now move away from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And this common church will take these ordinary means of grace and they will do remarkable things by the power of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And the typical way he does it is again by common people like you and I through ordinary means catalyzed by the power of God but it's not just Jesus who's working this is where we get our Trinitarian focus Jesus is speaking but the Father has promised that he will send the Spirit without leaving the first paragraph we have all three persons of the Trinity mentioned 
Wednesday evening, we started a small group at our house. If you hadn't, didn't, weren't able to join, please join us. It was a great time, but we spent time focusing on the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll know that the Holy Spirit does some amazing things in and through the church, advancing the kingdom of God. But here we see that he speaks through the scriptures, that he is an active presence who will come powerfully, as we'll see in a couple weeks, upon the early church in Acts chapter 2. Throughout this book, the Spirit will help God's people, enable and equip God's people to the work of ministry that Jesus is calling this church to do. Acts doesn't just focus on the Spirit, though. Look at verse 4. It reminds us that the Spirit is a promise of the Father. The church has a Trinitarian task. The catalyst isn't just the Spirit. Jesus is the one who's speaking these words. The Father is going to send the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come upon the church. And so we have to remember, as we go through this book, that this is a Trinitarian-focused book of the Bible, like all the books of the Bible. We're easily distracted, aren't we? Sometimes our distractions are visual. That's why we have cell phone laws that we keep our eyes fixed on the goal of ending our drive at the proper destination and not being distracted by the things that we see. Other times our distractions are audible. You had a thought, you want to write it down, but you forget because somebody asked you a question or interrupted your train of thought. Sometimes they're cognitive. I was in the shower this morning and I had a really good point for the sermon and I was meaning to write it down, but I don't have pen and paper in the shower. And of course, I get to the office this morning and I wanted to add it to the manuscript and of course, I forgot, but it was a good, good point. Maybe one day we'll get to it. But sometimes our distractions are intellectual. Some things we don't understand, like how can things be bitter sweet, Or how can silence be deafening? Or how can things be pretty ugly? Or maybe, I don't understand the Trinity. I think that's why folks just conclude things like the Father's in the Old Testament, the Son's in the Gospel, and the Spirit's in the Book of Acts. But we must remember that God has always existed in a perfect community as Trinity. There's one God, but the Father's God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. If you do a word search on ESV.org uh, for the word Trinity, it will not show up in your word search. ESV, or sorry, the Trinity is not a word that you will find in the Bible. It's a theological term. It's taking these ideas and these words in Scripture and trying to use ling language, English language, to communicate an idea. But our language needs to be precise. J.I. Packer describes this well, I think. He says that the Trinity is three personal agents, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together in a manner to bring about our salvation. They work as a team. Regarding our salvation, the Father initiates our salvation, the Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit applies our salvation. And the doctrine is complex, but the three persons of the Trinity are co-equal. Not one is more God than the other. They are all equally God. They're co-eternal. None of them were created. 
They have all eternally existed equally, fully God. And the Bible doesn't give us three roles like I just described of the Old Testament being the Father, the Son being the Gospel, and the Spirit being in Acts in the early church or epics of when these persons of the Trinity are working. But as the New City Catechism says, there are three persons in one God. Acts is a Trinitarian book. And my goal and my prayer is that over the course of this study, we will believe that and understand that a little bit more. But with Jesus' imminent departure, he wants to remind this church of God's faithful promises. He reminds them of the scriptures, the ordinary means of grace. He says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is not a force. He is a person. We wait for him. We don't wait for it. The Spirit will transform hearts and we will see some miracles happen. Like all of us sitting here today who believe the gospel, it's a miracle that we even believe and that is a gift of the Spirit. And the outward change as we see Jesus' words that were foreshadowed in John's gospel will become an inward transformation. Changing our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And John's baptism, John the Baptist, who he's speaking of, was anticipatory. Looking forward to what would come in the days ahead as they continue in the book of Acts. Looking forward to the work of Jesus on their behalf. His resurrection from the dead and then sending the Spirit to baptize them. And that baptism of the Holy Spirit is transformative. Friends, Acts is primarily focused on God. It's not on the church. God deserves the glory, not the church. God is the catalyst. And this Trinitarian focus of Acts is right here at the beginning for a reason. Because it's not how great we are, and it's also not how great the early church was. Acts is a Trinitarian book. Luke's purpose is to remind us of these foundational truths. And the Trinity gives us a task. That's our second point. Look at this Trinitarian task starting in verse 6. Verses 6, 7, and 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in verse 3, we saw that Jesus just spent 40 days with them. He was talking to them about the kingdom of God. And the Jewish expectation of this king would be coming into Jerusalem. He would be a conquering king. He would ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, but Jesus came in on a donkey. They thought he would defeat all their enemies of the Romans or their Jewish leaders who were distorting God's word. But Jesus ended up on a cross. And how was he mocked at his death? We see that in the Gospel of Luke. A sign over his head, Behold, the King of the Jews. That was not a, look who we have here. It was making fun of him. Imagine the discouragement of the disciples, though, on Good Friday. But on Easter, he rose triumphantly. And it apparently has reinvigorated this zeal and this motivation for them to go to Jerusalem, to take Jerusalem by force. The kingdom of God is finally coming, right, Jesus? Is it now? We've been patient. 
It's like with my kids on Christmas morning, right? Dad, can you get your coffee a little quicker? Because we want to open our presents. They want to get to the goal, the prize that they want. But like Jesus responded in Matthew 13, verse 32, he says, it's not for them to know the details. Only the Father knows when the kingdom will fully be realized. We saw in John's gospel, it was the, to the disciples' advantage that Jesus would depart, that he would go away. And because he goes away, he would send the Spirit to rest upon them, to live inside them, to empower them for the task that they have. The task of the church receives is Trinitarian. And so under the so Father's sovereign hand, the church has the message of the gospel of the Son, empowered by the Spirit to go. The kingdom has arrived. It's just not completely fulfilled yet. But they have a role in the kingdom, personally empowered by God. The work of the church is dependent on who? On God to finish the work through them. Jesus in the Gospels, his intention was to focus on Jerusalem, to get to Jerusalem. And as he arrives in Jerusalem, he ends up on a cross. He resurrects from the dead. He redeems a people who would believe in him. And now the task of the church is to take that message that we see in the scriptures away from Jerusalem. Let me read verse 8 again. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Remember when we were going through the book of John, John 20, verse 30 and 31 was the theme verse that I think I mentioned every single Sunday. Well, Acts 1-8 is the theme verse of the book of Acts. A common church with ordinary means that will bear witness to who God is and what he's done all the way to the ends of the earth. These geographic locations will be the outline of the book. Chapters 1 through 7 will focus on Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 will focus on Judea and Samaria. And 13 to the end in, verse, or in chapter 28 will focus on the ends of the earth. And Jesus isn't begging them. Would you please bear witness about me? He is commanding them. He's not hoping, oh, I really hope these guys don't mess it up. He's going to make it happen. You will be my witnesses. And so more certain than death and taxes, they will bear witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. And this word witness here in the Greek is the same word we get martyr from. And we tend to think of someone dying, right? When we hear of the word martyr. And some of these men who are hearing these words this day will die in just a few chapters. But before we finish this book, they will bear witness to who he is. It's not about the death of being a martyr. It's about what a martyr bears witness to of who Jesus is and what he has done. This Trinitarian book is to bear witness to the world around us of the hope and the assurance of salvation by believing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus alone. It's the ordinary means of grace communicated by common folks like you and I 
a common church where God is the catalyst to bring people to salvation. And a proper kingdom mindset is necessary for God's people, for you and for me. This group won't go and conquer Jerusalem. They won't go and conquer Rome, but the promised Holy Spirit will help them and empower them with their task to go to the nations. And by chapter 28, the gospel will make its way to Rome on its way to Spain, which is the, to the end of the known world that they were aware of. But it doesn't end its way there. The disciples would go that aren't taken account for in the book of Acts to Africa and to Asia and to the rest of Europe. It would make its way to North and South America. You and I are here today because faithful disciples of Jesus kept their focus and fulfilled their task of making disciples of all nations, even of our small little corner in central Vermont. Jesus just spent 40, 40 days with them. He would give them monumental assurances, the Spirit of God to assure them of the task before them. And you think they would say, right? Great, let's go. We'll wait. We'll be fine. But common folks have doubts, don't they? Look what happens in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them on white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. So quickly, in some sense, it feels like the angels didn't even give them any time to this Trinitarian task. But our Trinitarian task, and our third point is that it is grounded in truth. The book starts with truth, right? Luke is taking an orderly account like he did in the Gospels. He is saying this is what the church did. Luke is a man after truth, right from the very beginning, even in the Gospel. But common folks, they struggle, right? They struggle to believe the truth. In the Gospel, but they also struggled to believe the truth here. Or maybe they were just, just, just in shock. Did you guys just see what happened? Like they're standing there and Jesus has just ascended into heaven and they're like sitting with their mouth open. Like a sports fan, you know, you're winning the game and yeah, the other team hits a home run and you lose or they make the three-point shot and you lose or they kick the field goal or your mouth drops like Falcons fans in the 2017 Super Bowl. Like what just happened? Whether bewildered or distracted, their focus was looking up. And God is gracious to remind them of the truth. God wants to remind them what Jesus just told them. They don't have a heavenly focus, although they're looking towards heaven. But a heavenly focus is set on not only the truth that they have received, but also the commission that they have been giving, looking towards the end. Not what they are experiencing right that moment. And so empowered by the Spirit of God, grounded in the hope of eternity, their Trinitarian task will only be accomplished by the truth and trusting the truth. This task is hard. The ends of the earth is far, like some Vermonters who have never left this state. These men have probably never left Israel. 
but the ability to accomplish the task will never be their eloquence, their degrees on the wall, the experience that they bring to the table, the major evangelistic events that they have, or the high quality of their music. The amazing work of God comes through the power of God, and we must trust that too. The Trinitarian task is grounded in trusting God's word and the truth that we have heard and that they have heard and moving forward in light of that. And gradually the message of the kingdom will leave Jerusalem. It will reach the ends of the world. And the church's call to be on missions focuses on the goal. The prize is a lost and dying world that is in desperate need to hear the gospel through the ordinary means of grace by common folks like you and I to go to the ends of the earth. And instead of worrying about the end, which is daunting, the disciples were equipped with truth to carry the message to the ends of the earth. And they don't need to worry about getting to Africa or Asia. They just need to, to wait in Jerusalem to hear the words that Jesus told them and to wait because God never lies. Trust in the immediate promises and this will take place. Trust the promises that at the end, that will take place as well. That Jesus will return. That Jesus will assure them. These guys will put their foot in their mouth a lot in this book. Yet in spite of their failures, they still strive for faithfulness trusting God for fruitfulness. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, but the fruit of the witness belongs to the Lord. In Acts 2.47, after the early church was devoted to those four things of the apostles teaching the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers, it says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Paul says that it is required of stewards, those who have been entrusted with much, that a steward be found faithful. That's their only goal. Trust the Trinitarian promises and finish the task. You don't need strategic plans. You don't need audacious goals. You don't need self-motivation to finish the task. We need to depend on the promises of God and of God Himself, We trust that now, and the angels said, and trust that in the days to come. And so maybe you feel like these disciples. I often do. Aaron, you keep calling us to share our faith. You keep telling us to invite our neighbors over. You keep telling us to share the gospel with our family members. Yes, that's what the Bible calls us to. And my prayer, and I hope that all of our prayers, that every man, woman, and child in our towns that we live in would have a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel through you and through me and our other faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who God has planted here. We are the common church. We have the ordinary means of grace, and God uses a faithful church to give non-believers the gift of salvation and faith by the power of the Spirit to respond to the message of salvation as communicated in the gospel. My dad's not a Christian. He may listen to this message. I don't really care. Because I hope he believes the gospel that he hears when he hears this. Maybe you'll pray for him.
Maybe you have folks that you love that don't respond. For years, maybe you've felt they just won't respond. For years, maybe they've rejected you. Or maybe it's a stranger. They're just going to think I'm dumb. I don't know how to answer their question. I've been told before, don't share that with me again. Fearing a rejection, scared of a question, confused without an answer. Those are hard. We, we can admit it's, it's okay to say these are hard things to bear. But when we say those things, who's the focus on? It's on us. Friends, we don't save anybody. I think we can all relate to these guys, right? Fear and rejection are real. But we need to remember the task is Trinitarian, grounded in truth. Our job is just to share about the God that we believe and whom we worship and what he's done in and through his son and communicate the truth. God's role is to do the rest. They're not rejecting us. It feels like it though. They're rejecting God. It sounds gross, but I couldn't think of anything else. It's kind of like a Petri dish, right? We oftentimes think that's gross, but just bear with me. Chemistry. Where we have in this dish the ordinary means of grace, kind of sitting there with the common people of God, trying to be faithful. And you keep the message and the people always together, and you wait for a catalyst accomplished by God cause reaction praying God give people the gift of faith friends God and God alone saves and our Trinitarian task is to share those ordinary means of grace and we will see that over and over again as we go through this book you will always hear the gospel from this pulpit or I will fire myself you can trust if you bring your friends and your family here or strangers that they will hear the gospel. And let's be a church that prays that God would give people the gift of belief. And we will equip you to share the gospel yourselves with the people that you interact with in your day-to-day lives. And then we just trust God. We stir the mixture together. We shed some light on the truth. We bring fire into someone's soul. But the catalyst for the belief is God. And church, my prayer is that this study in the book of Acts will grow your faith to trust God's plan. My prayer in the study in the book of Acts will grow your faith to give yourself to the task that's given the common folks like you and I to go to a lost and dying world around us to share the gospel, part of the ordinary means of grace to a lost and dying world and praying that God would save souls. My prayer in this study of Acts that we will grow in our faith with the Trinitarian mindset. There's no plan B for the church. There is only a plan A, and it's us for God to reach the world around us. A common church with ordinary means of grace. And so let's trust God to move powerfully in our own hearts, but also in the hearts that God 
providentially puts in our path to bring to salvation as we go through this great book. On the back table before you leave, I have a book for every family, hopefully, I can, bore, I, I can buy more, uh, called The Habits of Grace. It's our gift to you, and it goes over three of the means of grace, God's word, prayer, and fellowship among God's people. And it's a great study to just tie to the study that we're going through in the book of Acts to help you to add some discipline to your view of these three means to help give you confidence in the work of God through you and me. And so allow my prayers that this book would encourage you as we go through this study. And so the Puritans, they used to use uh, terms uh, to describe the preaching of God's word as both light and heat. Terms of catalyst, right? For them, light was preaching of the pure word of God, undiluted and uncorrupted. And its faithful proclamation is what penetrates the hardened and darkened hearts of sinners. Light comes from God's word to push back the darkness in the heart and soul that we, before we believe, even experience ourselves. Heat, on the other hand, is a passion exuding from the heart. We believe what we proclaim, and more and more, we continue to believe it more. We get invigorated, we get excited, we believe what we say. And the more reticent we are to proclaim it, we go back to God's word and we ask God to turn up the heat in ourselves to be passionate about what we believe. And the church will face intense persecution in this book. We'll address them. We have to deal with some persecution. I don't think near to the extent that this early church had to deal with. But the church in the face of their persecution will bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. And preaching doesn't just come from this pulpit. We preach all the time for our sports teams, of our news, social media. It's hot, it's cold, the leaf peepers are going to clog our roads pretty soon. We preach all the time. But will we preach the gospel? Will we be God's witnesses? Proclaiming how great our God is because of what he has done and who he is in the person and work of his son. And so our task is Trinitarian based on truth. Light pushes back the darkness. Heat stirs our affections. And God uses catalysts himself to change the world through a common church like you and I through ordinary means of grace. So would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge that we, like your disciples, as we have traced their life through the Gospels, and we will trace their ministry through the book of Acts, have our fears, have our doubts, have our questions. And God, we ask that you would help us to 
rest in the truth, even of the things that we don't quite comprehend and understand, uh, even things like the Trinity, God, that we would trust you, that our minds are finite and it is impossible for us this side of eternity to, to comprehend the depths of God. And so, God, we thank you for forgiving us of our sin and fearing man and not fearing you, of keeping our mouth closed and not speaking up, not believing. And we thank you for your son who died for those sins too. And God, I pray that as we go about this study, as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, as we go to work tomorrow, where we interact with a neighbor, and we see someone at the store, God, that you would give us uh, an urge to share the gospel. God, you would give us the confidence to share the gospel. God, that you would give us a burden for the lost and dying world around us to give them the hope that they have God, we pray this for your glory. Not so our church grows, not so we look better, um, but so that you might be magnified because you and you alone are the only one deserving of our worship. And so God, we desire to do that now, to worship you for all that you've done and all that you will do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.